So purpose, we are on week number two of our purpose journey. And Quinton laid a foundation last week with a simple fact. Here it is. God has a purpose and plan for your life. And you're not made randomly. It's just, we're not just here to fill up time until eventually we pass away. No, God made you for a purpose and for a plan. And uh, I know some of you have got involved in small groups, and I commend you. I was at one of the small groups as well this week, and, and they've got some amazing DVDs. So if you haven't got your manual yet, please grab one. They're free of charge. Please get a manual straight afterwards. Inside, you can make notes. It's got notes for the small groups, but it's also got a daily devotional, so you can go through and go deeper. So please get involved. They're free of charge. Make sure you get one of those from uh, the coffee shop straight afterwards. But this idea that God created us for a purpose and a plan is very dear to my heart. I'll tell you why, because about 33, whatever years ago, when I gave my life to Jesus, as a 17-year-old, it wasn't the conviction of sin. I mean, I, I was, by most standards, I was living quite a normal life. I hadn't murdered anyone. And it wasn't the conviction of sin that brought me to Christ. It was the conviction of, I need purpose in life. There was a sense of emptiness. There was a sense that there must be something more. I was doing fine at school, fine at sport, fine at all those things, and yet on the inside, I knew something was missing. And it was the discovery of that. When I met someone as he shared the gospel, it wasn't just the message of Christ, it was the messenger of Christ. It was seeing something in his eyes as he spoke about what it means to walk in a relationship with Jesus that won my heart. And that's why I'm passionate about this subject. And what we're gonna be doing now for the next five weeks is looking at the five key purposes that God has made for us. Now, this is not multiple choice, choose one. Nope. This is, I suppose if you can picture my hand, almost like five tributaries, tributaries, five streams that come together to form one river. Five different aspects of God's purpose for your life. And we're gonna cut touch on each one of them. My folks love uh, making those jigsaw puzzles, you know, the thousand piece, two thousand piece. This is only five pieces. But the problem is, even on a thousand piece puzzle, if one piece is missing, guess what your attention is drawn to? That one. How much more on a five piece puzzle? So we're gonna go through five weeks. That's why I want you to be part of this whole journey because we need all five pieces of the puzzle to bring it together and say, God, that's your purpose and plan for my life. So that's where we're heading. Those five purposes, number one, our purpose is Christ, which I'm gonna be speaking about and explain in a moment. Number two, our purpose then is Christ-likeness to the world. Thirdly, our purpose is community. In a world, a humanistic world that tells you it's all about you, it's not, it's not about you. We were made for one another, for community. The next one, you're gonna see we were made for the common good, not for our own good, to do our own thing. We were created to help others, build others, serve others, love others. And finally, we were created for a commission, the great commission. Jesus has got a mission for his church and we find it's not God, will you fulfill my purposes? No, God, what are your purposes and how do I fit my life into that? And as we come to an understanding of these five streams, may they flow as a mighty river in our lives. So, number one, and I get to preach the most important one. I'm not just saying that because I'm preaching it. I truly believe it. Our purpose, number one, is Christ. Can you remember when Jesus was, uh, he was calling his 12 disciples and, and he walked down the beach, Peter, John, come follow me, and Andrew, come follow me. And he, he began to gather disciples around him, but then there came a day where he realized, I've got to whittle this down to just 12. So it tells us in Mark chapter three, 
and verses 13 and 14. It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and he called to him those he wanted and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. That's amazing. So he's about to send these 12 guys, he's about to train them up and he has got purpose for their life. You are gonna be preaching the gospel. You're gonna be raising the dead. Some of you are gonna be martyred for Jesus. You're gonna be planting churches. You're gonna be going to the nations. God's got purpose and plan. But before he gives them the purpose, notice what he says. Here's the twofold job description. Number one, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. So it's before it's go and do, come and be with me. Now we have to understand, church, this is a huge truth that when we understand it has profound implications for our lives. God does not want you to do anything for him. He wants you to do everything with him. Did you get that? This is huge. I know it sounds simple, but the implications are massive. God does not want you to do anything for him. He wants you to do everything with him. That's what Jesus said first and foremost to his disciples. Here's your job description. Number one, come and be with me, and then I'll send you out into purpose. See, if we try and go running, God, what's my plan? Have you called me to preach? Have you called me to be a, a, a this or that, a preacher, a teacher, work with kids, work with this, do that? What have you called me to? No, firstly, he's called you to relationship. Because what we're going to discover is there's a big reason for that. Because Christ is the power of your purpose. And so you can run around in the so-called purposeful life, doing this, doing this, and realize it's actually not having any eternal significance. Jesus says, by myself I can do nothing. Because we're not called to do anything for God, but everything with Him. The first purpose and most important purpose God has for your life is to be with Him. Why is it so critical? Well, a purpose without power is pointless. Jesus said it like this. He tried to give the disciples an, an analogy, a picture for them to grasp how significant that this is. And he said it simply like this. Okay, I'm like a vine, and you guys are like the branches. Remember Jesus speaking. And basically, if, if you stay, if a branch stays connected to the trunk or the stem, that branch will continue to be fruitful because the stem is supplying everything that's needed. But as soon as it separates itself, as soon as it's cut off from the stem, it withers and dies. It might look on the outside, but very quickly it's gonna start withering. I see in Mirancy they've been trimming a whole lot of the trees. And you see them, I mean, those, what were yesterday was a beautiful branch on the tree, then it gets trimmed, and now they've got piles next to the side of the road, and every time you drive past, you just see them got browner and browner, withering, withering, withering. You can have purpose, the form, but without being in Christ, connected relationally, it loses all of its power. He said it like this in John 15, verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So a Christian trying to walk in God's purposes for their lives without a close relationship with Jesus is just load shedding. Yep, it's all there, just no power at work behind it. Now, Paul understood this. The Apostle Paul, who wrote so many of the letters in the New Testament, he realized he was an incredibly capable man who could speak. He had a great intellect. He could understand so many things. Yet he came to this realization. 
I can go off trying to plant churches, write the Bible, do all of these things, but if it's done in any way separate from Jesus, it's a waste of time. So in fact, he realized, if I'm gonna pursue my purpose, the first part of pursuing my purpose is to pursue Christ himself. And he says it like this in Philippians 3, verses 3 to 11. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ and who put no confidence in the flesh, although I myself have reason for such confidence. If anyone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Verse seven, big one. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that, God, that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. There it is. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. That was Paul's passion, primary passion. I want to know Christ. So if you're serious about wanting to know God's purpose and plan, your destiny, God, what did you create me, Lord? How do I fulfill my destiny? Number one, pursue Christ. If that's not your primary pursuit, then everything else really becomes pointless. So how do we make it our primary pursuit? How do we pursue Jesus more? I'm gonna give you three things this morning. Number one, and this is huge, we need to realize that Christ alone fulfills, forgives, and is forever. Have you come to that realization? Coming to a realization that Christ alone fulfills a human heart, forgives a human heart, and is forever. C.S. Lewis, that famous uh, Christian author, he, he wrote this once. He said, a car is made to run on petrol. You dieselholics, you just know what I'm talking about, though. But a car is made to run on petrol, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about knowing him. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. It's a powerful thought, isn't it? First, we pursue Christ. Now, if anyone could have had that head start, if anyone's had, I suppose, the background in life to say, yo, if there was gonna be a guy who was completely fulfilled, it should be Paul. Everything about his upbringing and background was top draw. Now, you look at some people and you look at their lives and you think, yo, they must be the happiest, most content people in the world. Everything you dream about, they've got it. Paul had it. 
He listed like this. Now, maybe he's speaking to Jewish people, born in the right family, the right tribe, best upbringing. He was a, what, circumcised on the right eighth day. Tick, that's what God wants. Of the people of Israel, tick, that's God's people. Of the tribe of Benjamin, tick, that's one of God's chosen people. A Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee, best follower of the law. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultness. Everything about Paul's life was, and then he says this, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. You see, Paul discovered that what the world points at towards these things are going to fulfill. These things are going to forgive. These things are going to be forever. They're lying. And Paul discovered it. My question is, have you? Imagine if Paul rewrote that list now and into our... Uh, 2023, instead of talking about being circumcised on the eighth day and all, let's, maybe he got a couple of other things. What about this one? If I just had that perfect romantic partner, I'd be there. Life would be like from then on, we would sail into the sunset, all lived happily ever after. Surely, if I find that person, I'll be happy forever. What about money? Oh, my startup company, if Amazon would just buy it for five million, I would be set for life. What about security? Don't worry, I haven't invested in Bitcoin. I invested in something way more solid and all my money, doesn't matter what happens in the world, I'm secure, I have my financial stability. What about comfort? Did you see our house in Top Billing Magazine? No, I'm kidding. But imagine if you had that house, if I had the house with the biggest TV, best this, best that, surely then everything inside must be, wow, it's just so fulfilled. What about success? When I fly, I fly first class, I wish. <laughs> first class, first this, first this, first that. Surely with success must come peace, fulfillment, and joy. What about the family? If I just had my family all around me all the time, my family. What about looks? Yo, body like that, I know. <laughs> Rip like that, men want to be like you, women want to be with you, whatever. No, nope, I wouldn't know. Hectic, says my wife. <laughs> what about power? If I just had respect from people, if it's just everywhere I went, people... Point is this. People have tried it. How many celebrities that you think they've got everything? Surely they, if anyone was going to be happy in the world, it must be them. And then you hear another overdose and another suicide, another depression, another loneliness. Not that any of those things are bad in themselves, it's when we look at them, as surely if I had those, I would find fulfillment, forgiveness, and foreverness. Whatever was to my gain, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He realized as much as society values them, they're never going to fulfill us. They leave us empty. None of them can truly fulfill us. I heard a quote. You married people, listen to this interesting quote. Speaking about romantic love, finding that one. Years ago, this is a, a guy who wrote a book. His name's Christopher West. He wrote a, a book, Full These Hearts, about marriage. He says, years ago, my wife and I were out to dinner, and she observed that something was different about our marriage in recent years, something good. She asked me if I had any insights into what it was. I said with a smile, yep, I think I know what it is. I think I've been realizing deep in my heart that you can't satisfy me. She said, that's it. I've realized the same thing. You can't satisfy me either. Anyone overhearing us in the restaurant would have thought we were about to get divorced. But to us, 
This was a cause for joy and celebration. We'd never felt closer and freer in our love, only to the degree that we stop expecting others to be God for us, are we free to love others as they really are, warts and all, without demanding perfection of them, without, whether a spouse, a friend, a son, or a daughter, or any other relationship? Isn't that powerful? Christ alone. See, if you're in a marriage still expecting your spouse to fulfill your needs, it's my spouse's job to make me happy, my spouse's job. No, no, no. In Christ alone do we find that. And when you find it, you become a better husband, better wife, better whatever. Number two, none of these things can forgive you. And sometimes we think, oh, my heart will be at peace. That sense, that deepened sense of shame and, and regret and guilt, the things that I've done, the things that have been done to me. But surely if I had this, people would look at me in a way with respect. And then on my inside, I'd feel, no, you won't feel better. People have tried it for years. Maybe they can offer you an escape, a temporary escape, but never a deep inner fulfillment and forgiveness. The human heart craves forgiveness. You might be sitting here this morning knowing you've done stuff in life or stuff's been done to you. There's a dirtiness, there's a shame inside of you and you can try everything under the sun until you realize one day and maybe today will be the day you realize Christ alone can wash, cleanse and take away a guilty conscience. And then you realize maybe that none of them are forever. I'm a, the engineer in me likes to follow Elon Musk as an engineer and see the space rockets and the Tesla cars and all of these things. And, and he's become the richest man in the world where he was because I see he's just got a new Guinness Book World Record for the person who's lost the most money ever in the history of the world. I think he's lost 163 billion a few months ago or something because the stock price just went down. So now he's only worth about 150 billion. Here's the thing, you would think when you've got 350 billion in the bank dollars, you set, and he probably is set, but the point is this, one day he was this rich, the next day he's got a Guinness World Record for losing the most amount of money ever in the history of the world. Those things that we think are permanent are not nearly as permanent as we think. Approval, people can speak well of you, and then they realize things about you, and all of a sudden, all your security came from people's approval, and now they've turned their back. What did Paul realize? He realized that the world and society had been duped. That these things, good as they are, can never be ultimate. They're good things, but should never be God things. And he realized that once he took that ache inside of him, and there is an ache in our hearts for forgiveness. There is an ache in our hearts for fulfillment. There is an ache in our hearts for eternal things, forever things. But then he took them to the one who alone is forever, who alone can deeply fulfill and alone can and does forgive us. This is why I love, uh, we uh, had our midweek service with some of the oldies on Thursday. Remember that old beautiful hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus? I'd love to sing it for you right now. No, I'm not gonna sing it for you right now. But remember what it says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Maybe you can quote it with me. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's what we're talking about right here. The things of this world will grow strangely dim. Those things, don't let the world dupe you into thinking if I just had this, 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 I would have peace, fulfillment, forgiveness, and for it. No, 
only in Christ. Let me quickly move along to point number two. How do we get closer to Jesus? Number one, we've got to realize only Christ we find forgiveness, fulfillment, and foreverness. But number two, this is huge, to let painful experiences and hardship not drive you from Christ, but to Him. Now, some of you, I need you to hear me this morning because this might be you right now. You're going through something and you don't understand it and you think it's not fair and two things could happen. You could take your anger and project it towards God or you could realize that actually God is using that. It's not His will. Jesus suffered for us, but suffering is part of the discipleship process that God wants to use in our lives to draw us closer to Him. Many of you will remember, you would have heard about uh, Corrie ten Boom. Remember a Dutch lady, yes, she went through the concentration camps and uh, she wrote that famous little book called uh, My Harding Place. Now, I mean, she was, they, they grew up in World War II as a Dutch family having pity on the Jews. And so they used to hide Jewish families in their cellar and the Nazis came and sadly, eventually someone ratted them out and the Nazis came and, and took them prisoner, threw them into separate, the worst of the concentration camps. Corrie ten Boom and her sister were thrown in the same, one of the worst. And for years, they were in this concentration camp trying to encourage the other prisoners. And sadly, literally days before she was miraculously released, her sister passed away. She's lost everything, lost all her family, all her possessions, all everything. She's been through the worst of the worst, yet she'd found Christ. And she wrote, she became an evangelist. And the heart of her message was simply this. God sometimes uses suffering to bring us closer to Him. One of her famous quotes is this, you can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. I know what this feels like to a degree, not to her degree, and I bet you you do as well. There's been something in your life where you've said, God, it's not fair. This is missing from my life. This is not fair about my life. It's like, God, why are you not answering this prayer? And sometimes you can like, God, if, I just, if you just answer that prayer, sure, I'd be at peace. And until that, no, no, as long as that is our thinking, the pause button will still be pushed in heaven. You know that beautiful song we sing, Christ is enough for me. That's what Paul was saying. Lord, this thorn, that's torment that I'm going through, take it away, take it away, then I'll be happy and at peace. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. This is not punishment from God. This is a pathway that leads you to greater intimacy with Jesus. He wants you to find in that, that thing you're struggling with, that thing that's not fair, that prayer that's not been answered, in that, God wants you to find intimacy with Jesus. When you come to the place of realizing, actually, it is well with my soul. No, this prayer hasn't been answered. No, I still think it's unfair, but it is well with my soul. Christ is enough. Don't let hardship and pain drive you from Christ. Let it be the pathway that leads you to Him. And lastly, make a decision to get closer to Jesus. I know that sounds a bit simplistic, but sometimes just make a decision, I want to get closer to Christ. If I'm serious about pursuing my purpose, step number one, get closer to Jesus. And that's not a one-stop thing, that's a forever thing. I've discovered there's two types of Christians. Christian type A, no, that's B, let's, Christian type B are those who wake up on a Sunday morning and it's like, yo, I wonder if we should go to church today. Christian type A, I've given my life to Jesus every Sunday we gather with believers. No, no, things happen, we go and we visit, whatever. But it shouldn't be a weekly decision. I'm talking about those kind of decisions. 
You see, if we wake up, for example, on a Sunday morning, should I, shouldn't I, really it's your feelings that have become the foundation of your following Jesus. You wake up in the morning, should I read the Bible? I don't really feel like it, I'm in a hurry. No, 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 bad decision. Jesus, you are the bread of life. I need to feed on your word daily. Let faith be the foundation and not your feelings. Ugh, praying, I haven't really got time to pray. No, no, I've got so much to do today, I'm gonna have to spend the first hour in prayer. Make a decision to build intentionally on Christ, on your relationship, on factoring into your life. I don't have to listen to East Coast radio on the way to work. I'm gonna actually just listen to worship. I'm gonna learn to worship in my car so that by the time I get to work, I'm full of the Holy Spirit afresh. I need to fellowship not just in a crowd. A crowd is great. I love gathering on Sunday, but real discipleship is not happening here. It's gonna happen in one of these small groups which is why I'd love you to get involved. I could go on, but you get the point. Are you being intentional about pursuing greater intimacy with Christ? So let me land. Your purpose will have no power without the person of Jesus. Your purpose is not to do things for God, but to do things with Him. Your primary purpose is to pursue Jesus. Realizing that nothing else will fulfill, forgive, or last forever. Letting hardship lead you to greater intimacy with Jesus and making the choice to get closer to Jesus. This is the first piece of that five-part puzzle. There is no, oh Lord, I wanna work, walk in your purpose and plans without choosing first and foremost, Jesus, I wanna know Christ. Can you say amen to that?